It's the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. Okay, welcome to episode four. And today we have what I will find a very fascinating topic. I hope you do too. Uh, We've got Noah and John tonight from the Paranormal Investigators of Milwaukee. John, Noah, welcome. Thanks for having us. Um, paranormal. I'm just gonna we're gonna touch base here. Um, the definition of paranormal is anything that is beyond the range of normal experience or scientific explanation. So that covers a lot of a lot of space here. That's right. Um, your your area of the paranormal. What do you guys investigate? Well, the area of the paranormal that we focus on exclusively would be called hauntings, which is ghost spirits, whatever you want to refer to them as, and uh, that that is the only thing that we focus on. Okay, so no chupacabras, no UFOs. Nope, not not this group. Okay, all right, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, to get some background on you guys now, John, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We'll start with John. I'm sorry, I'm looking at no one. I'm talking to John. Uh, John, let's uh, let's get a little background on you. Um, who is John? I am 46 years old, married with a 12 year old daughter. Um, I'm a retired police officer in the Milwaukee area. I was a cop for 21 years, and I've always been interested in the paranormal. When I was in high school, I used to read every book I could find about UFOs, cryptozoology, uh, ESP hauntings, poltergeist, you name it, I, I was interested in it. Um, after I retired, I ended up with a lot of time on my hands, and I was looking for places to possibly go to publicly with my wife, who was also interested, and I stumbled across Paranormal Investigators from Milwaukee's website. I had no clue that there were actual groups that went out and did these types of things, and I was not a avid ghost hunter or ghost adventures watcher. So I started looking into all the groups in the Wisconsin and northern Illinois area, and I was extremely impressed with uh, the website of Paranormal Investigators of Milwaukee. And uh, I liked the way they took a a scientific approach to things. And so I submitted an application, and I was fortunate enough to be accepted on board. And the rest, they say, is history. And the rest is history. (laughs) Uh, And Noah, uh, are you the founder? I am the founder. Okay. So... um, I've always been interested in the paranormal, and I've never had an experience. And it's something that people um, don't comprehend. The majority of the people I run into during doing this and who do paranormal investigation have had an experience. And that's usually the impetus for what makes them start a group or join a group. Um, In in my case, it wasn't that way. I I just thought it was always really interesting when I was growing up. Um, I grew up in the the pre-internet era. And so the information that's available to the majority of people nowadays, including this podcast, was not something that I was, uh, was available to me. And so, um, like John, I would read the few books that were in my local library. I grew up in a very small town in uh, rural Wisconsin, and you know, there just wasn't a lot of stuff. But every time around Halloween, there would be like more programs on TV and some special things going on. and would kind of uh, remind me of my interest in this sort of thing. Uh, when I graduated, or when I went to college, I went to um, a, a college, uh, a small liberal arts college in, in Wisconsin, and it was an older institution, and there was a lot of old buildings in there, and as with most colleges you'll find nowadays, there's there's ghost stories, and there was ghost stories for just about every single building that was on that campus, and so we spent a lot of time, or I spent a lot of time 
um, looking into those stories and trying to find out if how much of them were, were true or how recently they had occurred and so forth and so on. And after I graduated, I moved down to Milwaukee uh, for graduate school. And um, I have, uh, uh, I guess I'm 20, I'm 20, I'm 31 years old. Not 20 Wishful anymore. thinking, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm 31 years old. Um, I'm married. I have two children. And uh, I have a bachelor's degree in biology, and I have two master's of science degrees, one in epidemiology and one in cell biology. And um, when I moved down to Milwaukee, I had my bachelor's degree and was going for my first master's. And that's when I was introduced to the concept of paranormal investigation. And that really came about because of the program I was in was designed for MDs that were uh, practicing MDs. So I only had to go to class once a week for the program I was in. And so I had a lot of time on my hands, started looking into this. And this is the same time that Ghost Hunters, the TV show, came out. And so this kind of put on a light bulb for me saying, oh, this is a thing that people do. And that seems really interesting. And look, they don't have any special training or anything like that. They're just plumbers. And, uh, you know, hey, if plumbers can do it, why can't I? So I did a Google search for um, paranormal in Milwaukee, and I found a group that was starting out and um, hooked up with them for about a year uh, and kind of learned the ropes about paranormal investigation. And it was um, after, shortly after uh, my first year of my first master's degree that I broke off from that group because I learned a lot about how paranormal investigation was done, and I had learned enough that I thought that it should be done differently. And so um, that's why I decided to form my own group, um, PIM, in 2007. And so um, since then, I've always strived to use the scientific training that I've had uh, in my schooling and try to apply it to my investigations as best that I can through a combination of techniques and equipment. Now, you touched on you know, the technique that you take in an investigation. And this is, um, I think, something that, based on my background is what I've seen on television, read a few books, pick up on the internet. Um, technique really seems to be lacking. Correct. Um, not that I'm a rocket scientist, uh, don't have an advanced degree, but I was a heck of a student in, in high school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and science, biology, the physical sciences were, were uh, where I excelled. And, and there's a thing called the scientific method. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't seem to get followed in a lot of these investigations. Now, granted, when you're on television, you're selling ratings. Right. And um, so tell me how you approach an investigation. So the, the number one thing um, that you try to do is go into the situation with as few assumptions about the situation as possible and take the claims um, that were given to you at face value and do your level best to think of the possibilities that those claims could be, starting uh, starting from the mundane to all the way up to the paranormal explanation and moving through those uh, steps and trying to prove or disprove each one of them. Each one is a hypothesis, right? Um, I The claim is the door slams by itself. Well, hypothesis would be maybe there was windows open, there was a gust of wind, or another door opened somewhere else in the house would cause a change in air pressure, which caused the door to close. So you then test that theory. Is that possible? Can it happen? And then, you know, what is the answer to that question? And then form a new hypothesis. No, it was not that because we tried it and didn't work. Or yes, it was that. So that's most likely the explanation. So going through that process time and time again during that investigation is the scientific method. 
but that's the hardest thing to do because a lot of times, and the reason why most groups don't do this is because there's many assumptions that are made in this field. What are ghosts? What is the paranormal? Um, how should, how, what, what is the gear? What is it used for? A lot of people don't, don't know. And so there's so many assumptions in the field already, it's really difficult um, to try to take, especially a client who has very little background information about what this is, other maybe what they saw on TV or maybe what another misguided group told them. And, uh, and then you're trying to say, well, actually, you know, I know they said it was this, but um, there's not really any proof for that. And what I think it is, is this. And a lot of times, because my explanations are much less interesting, um, um, they don't want to, you know, accept them. And, and the other thing is, too, people will take it as a personal affront. You are basically, they think that I'm saying that they're lying or, or that they're wrong. And, and really what I'm trying to do is just give them an alternate explanation. And, you know, I said, you know, I've, I wasn't there. I didn't see what you saw or experience what you saw. I don't know. But this is one possibility. And you can consider it or not. It's up to you. But uh, when it comes to scientific method in our investigations, setting up the, the, uh, ex the investigation as much like an experiment as we can. And that mainly means in the terms of paranormal investigation is controlling as many variables as you can. So in a, in a laboratory setting, you have all the variables controlled except for one. You know, that's how science works. You modify one variable and you do your experiment, see what happens, modify another one and see what happens and see if you can find a correlation. With a paranormal, that's what I like to do. I want to try and find correlations, but it's almost impossible to control every variable except for one. And so what we try to do is control as many variables as we can, like how many, you know, all the doors and windows are closed, how many people are at the place, make sure there's no pets there, turn off the air conditioning or the heating so it's not air currents moving around the home. Um, blocking out windows so we can't have light coming in from outside unless we're trying to do a debunk where we're, we're trying to explain a light anomaly that was seen. Then we try to go through all those different steps. So these are the sorts of things we go through, and obviously depending on the case, depending on the claims, will depend on exactly what we go about doing. Now, one uh, one thing that uh, you, from your website is you do not charge for an investigation. Correct. So... Do some groups in the area charge to come in? And then, of course, does that perpetuate proof? <laughs> you know, do you, I'm, you're paying me, so tell me what I need to know. There are some groups that do charge, and it's extremely unethical. When you have a problem with your refrigerator, it doesn't work right. You call somebody to come in, they fix it, you can see the results. We can't prove our results. And it's irresponsible for groups to be out there charging people that are in need of help. They're scared oftentimes. And then they're charging them money for something that they can't even really give them tangible results. Um, not a lot of them. In general, the ethics in paranormal investigating is you don't charge. But we do stumble across them and we try to make it as publicly known as possible that this isn't the norm and to avoid groups that are trying to profit off of this. Back to your investigation stuff then. Uh, how many members in your team? We have eight members. And do each have a specific role? Do you kind of overlap? How do you, uh, how do you disperse your team in an investigation? So what I try to do, you know, I don't have people who have specific, like, like John is a video guy and Jan is the audio person. And I try, I try to train everyone on everything so that they're interchangeable parts. Because the thing is, we, we all have day jobs, we all have families, we all have 
uh, other responsibilities. And so as such, we can't, not all of us can go on every investigation. And actually that wouldn't work out anyways, because you know, when you're investigating one bedroom apartment, having eight people in there is just not conducive to doing a controlled and uh, scientific investigation. Um, and so as such, you want to make sure people are interchangeable. If so-and-so is not there, someone else can fill in and there, you know, you don't miss a beat. Things go just as smoothly as before. So, but when we do an investigation, you know, we come in with our, when our, with our equipment and that's not the first step, but there's other steps to, I, I, there's five steps to an investigation in my book and there's, there's steps before the actual investigation that take place. Um, uh, but if you skip right to the investigation step, um, we come in, we'll get our gear all into the location and we'll start, um, going and doing uh, either setting up equipment at the usually what I tell people is set up your gear where you're at your cameras audio whatever we're going to use and then people will go off and do baseline readings temperature EMF humidity things like that go and take outside weather conditions which we keep track of on our investigations uh, and then um, gravy is actually responsible for when he's there for, for we call it darkening so again covering up windows covering up lights from electronics things like that so that the room would be devoid of light from uh, external sources uh, so that when we're doing our investigation, we don't have to worry about that. If there's a light anomaly, we know it didn't come from a car outside because the windows are blocked. Um, so he'll do that. And then uh, otherwise, then we'll start setting gear, placing it where uh, equipment or where stuff has been reported, so forth and so on. And then once that's all set and started, um, then we will um, proceed with the investigation. Um, we do things a little bit differently when it comes to gear. We have a lot of it. Um, maybe not as much video equipment as you have, oh. but we have quite a bit. <laughs> Um, that we put out and uh, audio as well. We also have something called control recorders that we use and these are recorders, they're all the same kind of recorder and we actually strap them to our upper body and they're, it's for each individual investigator and that's their audio control. Uh, one of the things that I find often um, besides very not paranormal photographs which people put out there is paranormal audio is the next, next thing that comes up as far as the amount of paranormal evidence that's put out there. But the issue I have is most people do not control their audio environments well enough. They have a couple of recorders, and they don't cross-check one to the other. So if they capture something weird on one recorder and they can't explain it, they put it out there as paranormal. The vast majority of the time, especially when it's whispers and stuff like that, it's the investigators themselves who are not remembering to tag themselves or whatnot. And they don't have an audible control that they can go back to to check. And so it's put out there as, oh, it's a whisper of something. It's, you know, somebody said something. So we use audio recorders that have if we capture anything, even it doesn't have to sound like one of us, we always cross-check our audio, our, our control recorders to ensure it wasn't us. And that has ruled out many things that would have been put out there, um, even with our very stringent rules that we have, probably would have, some of them would have been put out as evidence if we didn't have our audio controls. So that's what we use. It's the first thing we start, it's the last thing we stop. Even when you're going to the bathroom, they never get turned off because you're the only one that's going to review it. So the point is, if you make some weird noise in the bathroom, I'm not going to say what, um, <laughs> If that happens and it echoes up through the ductwork to the third floor and sounds like some weird thing that you're like, well, that's no way. That's a person. That sounds like, you know, whatever, something very strange. You can go back and say, well, what was going on? What were you doing? What were we all doing during this time? Maybe it was during a break uh, between actual investigating or getting energy drinks, using the restrooms and things like that. That's actually when most of the stuff gets captured because you're not paying as close attention. You're not taking the stuff that you're doing. And so that's how these sorts of things get lost. And um, so it's important. Uh, I wish everyone would use them. Uh, it's I'm very skeptical of a lot of people's audio because of that. Most I don't know another group who uses control audio recorders in the area. I haven't met one in the area, and I've gone to conferences and stuff in Illinois and stuff as well. Most people do not use them. So when you go into an investigation, 
Um, I'm sure you do you, you do a background check on as much as you can on who your client is, um, maybe what their background is. Um, do you do history of the area, of the building, of... We do as much as we can. It is very difficult and very time-consuming to go back, depending. Uh, some of the claims may be, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, someone, uh, or 80 years ago, someone died at this location. And just being able to try to dig up those records can be extremely difficult to do. But we do the best we can. We try to get as much information. Um, sometimes people that have the place, maybe they rent it, they don't know anything about the previous owners there, that type of thing, which it, it just makes it difficult to do. But you do go in and kind of do what you can. Correct. So find out maybe who a previous owner was, if somebody's been there for a short period of time. As much as possible, yes. Do you come into the investigation. Um, what type of data are you guys, obviously the audio you're collecting. Um, looking at your, your website and the type of equipment you use, obviously you have, you have video. And it looks like you've got quite a few camcorders modified for infrared. Um, the audio equipment, some of it looks very standard. Go to Office Depot and buy the pocket recorder. Um, some of it's been what I call standard equipment that's been modified. Um, the one thing that really kind of interests me is the, the DR40 with the two microphones on it. The, the, the uh, Tascam DR40, uh, which will record two independent channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and... What is that piece of equipment? It was designed by somebody. Yeah, uh, David Roundtree. David Roundtree. Um, it was designed based on the theory that EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, which is the audio which people are trying to capture on these investigations, are generated via direct, either direct EMF, electromagnetic field manipulation, or through EMF itself. So the reason why we're, why that rig is generated the way it, or why it looks the way it is so it's a it's a voice recorder that has two con- regular standard car diode microphones on them and um, which are oriented in what's termed the 360 degree orientation which they're they're crossing and so they're stereo microphones which can capture sound from almost any angle um, you can then plug in two microphones two other microphones into the bottom of this unit which can be of any type. And the type of microphones we use are dyna- dynamic microphones, which actually can record either through sound wave vibrations or separately EMF directly. It can respond to EMF. And so the reason why we record both of them is because you then can look at both channels side by side and see if when you're recording the sound channel, if there's also another different waveform which appears in the microphones that can respond to EMF and sound. So that's why it's directed that way. Um, EMF, uh, I'm sorry, EVPs. Yes. Electro voice phenomenon. And I forgot to turn off my cell phone. I apologize. <laughs> uh, that's what I have for having a backup cell phone. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, I find EVPs interesting. And that will also cross you you pick that up you use audio recorders digital audio recorders to try and, and listen for these things mm-hmm. yes um is an evp kind of the same thing you'd pick up through um a static radio channel a blank channel or no. a blank tv channel because there's so an evp uh, um you can explain what an evp is so an evp is an electronic voice phenomena so it's a it's a 
it's a what would be determined as a voice or called a voice that was not heard at the time of the investigation by the investigators. And uh, basically, when it comes to EVPs, you have to be very, very careful. Because just because you don't remember hearing it doesn't mean it was a noise that could be heard. And so um, there's a lot of things. There's, a, there's another group uh, in Illinois called Ghost Head Soup that uh, made a great point. Um, so humans can hear between 20 hertz and 20,000 hertz when they're born. Um, as you get older, the, the bottom and the top of that range shrinks down. So as, and, and it depends on how much you know death metal you listen to when you're a kid and how close to the TV you weren't supposed to be when your mom kept yelling at you will determine. And if you worked in a factory for 40 years you know, uh, that you know, was a very loud environment, will reduce how those, those upper and lower ranges. So um, the point is brought up is how often do you investigate with kids? The answer to that question is never because you don't bring kids on investigation. Staying up late, you know, um, walking around in the dark, you're doing all the things that kids just don't do. Uh, but there have been instances where kids have been on initial walkthroughs and things like that. And they've heard things that the investigators did not hear, but were captured on audio recorders later. And so if the kid wasn't there, so in, in that instance, it would, if it was deemed to be paranormal, they couldn't find an explanation for it, it would be called a disembodied voice, which is something which is, is heard during the investigation, but determined not to be caused by something that's alive. Whereas in the instance where you have a bunch of people who are older, who maybe his hearing isn't as good, um, they would think, I never heard that. You know, we didn't hear, we didn't tag it, we didn't recognize it during the investigation, so thus it was electronic, and it would be called an EVP because of that. So that is the main, the main difference between disembodied voice and EVPs. One is heard during investigation, the other is not, and found afterwards on some electronic media, usually audio, but sometimes you pick it up on uh, video camera audio. One thing that I have a little, listening to EVPs and what people put out there, like I said, there's a lot of, if I can call it, bunk evidence out there that right. people will support. And knowing the little bit I know about audio, um, enough to do a podcast, <laughs> um, you turn up the gain on anything, you're going to hear something. And how do you, do you have a range that you stay within? Do you crank that audio all the way up to listen for things? And, and how do you get, the one thing that always troubled me is the power of suggestion. Did you hear that? Did you hear it say, get out of my house now? Did you hear that? And then all of a sudden, everybody in the room hears, get out of my house now. <laughs> sure. We, we do not adjust the gain in any way. We don't modify the sound files. So anything that we post on our website is evidence. Um, that's the way it was recorded. Because like you said, when you increase the gain, when you alter the sound file, you, if you alter it enough, you're going to hear something. And that's something that drives me absolutely nuts when you watch something like Ghost Adventures. Well, they'll put the words at the bottom of the screen as they're playing it, and you have no choice but to, in your mind, that's what you hear. It's audio pareidolia. And you're, you're trying to make sense of a pattern that doesn't make sense. And our group just doesn't do that. We just we record it as it is, and we, when we play it, that's the way it was recorded. That's the way it was heard. So, John, how do you approach? Do you do you use some of your 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 background in, in uh, law enforcement? How do you approach the investigation? Do you approach it a little bit differently than, or do you follow all the same protocol? I mean, do you... I I pretty much subscribe almost to a T the way Noah does things, and that's based on how I did investigations. You, everything was the conclusions were all based on facts that you could prove. 
Um, speculations and theories are nice, but when it comes down to it, you have to be able to show proof of why you came to this conclusion. Um, we may believe something is a certain way. We may believe that this was paranormal. Um, it may be some very odd circumstances, and I can't explain it, but just because I can't explain it doesn't mean it was paranormal. There may be an explanation for it. We just haven't figured it out or under the circumstances that it occurred. Under, uh, again, going through your investigations, um, looking at your website, you guys have been pretty much all over the state. Yep. Um, a handful of locations here in Milwaukee that have a history of paranormal activity. Uh, that I guess are, I don't want to call them old standbys, but I'm guessing most groups um, in the area are going to hang out in the lobby of the Fister at least once. Um. <laughs> We've never actually done that, actually. Oh, no. No, okay. No, we really are trying to get the Fister to let us come do an actual investigation. Uh, unfortunately, the, the running standard for the Fister is that they are not haunted. They are a first-class hotel that caters to some of the wealthiest individuals in the world and uh until that changes that probably their theory on the paranormal stuff is probably not going to change either unfortunately no matter how much how many espn reports that come out <laughs> well that's the um that was another topic that i want another subject that i wanted to kind of talk about was there's two types of investigations there's people who are i would imagine who have an issue and want some kind of explanation um, whether it's poltergeist type activity, if you will, or a haunting of some kind, or just some unexplained phenomenon. Hey, you know, my walls are bleeding. Can you come in and tell me what this is? Um, well, you've got red mold behind the drywall, you know, <laughs> but, um, or whatever it is. And then there's groups or, or locations, I would imagine, that benefit from the haunting and perpetuate it, if you will. And not by hoaxing it, but by... Um, maybe well, advertising it or using it as part of their criteria. Yeah. One of the examples that I'm personally um, never had an experience there, but had a friend who worked at a restaurant in Mequon. Great history in this place. It was a speakeasy. It was a brothel. It's been several restaurants, a couple of murders. There's a couple of bullet holes in the wall. And it's supposedly haunted by three or four different spirits. Best draw, best way to get a tip in that place was to know that story if you were a waiter or a waitress mm -hmm. um, and kind of build up that lore and build up that legend. So you've kind of got both ends of the spectrum. Don't tell my neighbors you're here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want them to think I'm a crackpot. And come on in and tell me what we got because I'm going to plaster it all so I can get people in the door. Right. And again, you guys are going to approach that the same way. No right. matter what happens, where you come in, how you come in, or who, who brings you in. I might actually be a little bit more uh, skeptical and wary of the business that really is, is touting to the high heavens how haunted their place is because maybe there is some, some hoaxing that might be going on, or maybe they're going to try to misconstrue words that I say to make it sound like I'm saying something I'm not so that it helps them. Huh. So I might be a little bit more careful in those situations than in hmm. the other ones, but we haven't run into that yet. Okay. Now, you know, one of the investigations you've done that does um, advertise, if you will, mm -hmm. um, is up in Pembine. Is it the, it's the Four Seasons? That's correct, yes. The four Seasons. And it looks like you guys have been up there a couple times. Yep, three times. And and they do the, I know they do a midnight 
ghosts every Friday. Every Friday night. Um, actually, we were just up in that area, and we just didn't get a chance to get up there. Um, and it was interesting because I was talking to a, a good friend of ours who lives in that area, and and uh, they were at a wedding there, and they stuck around for that on the Friday night. But she said, you know, they don't start until midnight after everybody's good and drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that Which, is true. <laughs> um, um, you guys have been up there a couple times. What kind of experiences or what 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 have you guys found? Have you guys found anything there? <laughs> bats. There's bats. There's bats. There's bats at least four seasons. Yeah, up in the in banquet <laughs> hall. So in, so in the four seasons, the the areas where you're supposed to have the majority of activity are up in the what are called the salons. So there's four salons that are up there that which are basically the big banquet halls where they have the wedding receptions at. And um, that's the oldest part of the hotel. So the hotel burned down at one point. Nothing was left besides the big fireplace, which is in the main lobby. And it was rebuilt. And when it was rebuilt, this is when Al Capone was supposed to be residing there. And the autumn salon was actually supposed to be his private suite. And he liked it because um, uh, the the, Pembi- the hotel, the Four Seasons, is actually on an island in the Manami River. And there was there's a single, it's still to this day, it's two single-lane bridges that go. One goes to Wisconsin and one goes to Upper Michigan. And so he could see both those bridges from his room. And so he could see if any was coming to get him. That's the story. All right. I don't know if I don't know of any historical precedent for that, obviously, because gangsters generally do not write down where they were and when. Um, but uh, so that's the story. And so um, there's one individual basically um, who's had the majority of the experiences there, and that's a night uh, cleaner there. Um, and she is the one who runs these midnight tours that's part of the reason why they start at midnight she doesn't come in until 11 so um uh, she's the one who runs these things on friday nights and she had a lot of experiences not only up in the salons but also down in the bars and other areas that are um in the in the place and so uh, you know we you know she was our resource she walked us around the first time we were there gave her gave us all the things that happened to her and so forth and so on and we started and we, we did our investigation the best that we could and the first time we were there we didn't capture anything uh, we came back the next year. They asked us to come back and do a public thing. And so we actually we did a private investigation with just our group on Friday night, and then we did a public investigation for people who wanted to come, and they bought a package deal to stay at the hotel and, and come to an investigation with us. And on the private investigation, unbeknownst to us, we actually captured an audio clip that was in the ice cream parlor, which is there. And this is, was one of the spots that, that this individual, um, the night cleaner, had pointed out to us and said, you know, people have seen a woman going in here, have seen a woman coming out of here, um, have heard a woman in here. And the, the EVP that we've captured, and you can find it on our website, um, is of a woman, it sounds like a woman anyway, saying something. We can't make out what it says. But it was captured while another, um, one of our other investigators was saying, you know, hey, I got a dime. If you want this dime to go get, because it's kind of set up as an old time ice cream shop. So they have, okay. you know, 10, 10 cent, you know, penny candies and things like that, that are, there are signs that are up and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have a dime, you want a dime here, go take and go get something. And right when he's saying that is when we capture this, sounds like a woman or it could be a child, I guess, uh, voice. We can't make out what it's saying. That's the only thing we've captured. Now, the first time we were there, there was bats in the salons. They were flying all over the place. And, and we didn't know about it the first night we were there until we reviewed our, our, our cameras the next morning. And we're like, what is this thing flying around? And there was like five or six bats flying in this one salon. So they got rid of those. No, the, the last two times we've been there, there haven't been any bats. But um, that's usually what we run into most is wild animals. Uh, it's the, usually the most paranormal experiences we find. Something, something <laughs> scratching in the walls. Worrying or... about rabies is usually the biggest fear we have. <laughs> <laughs> Never getting spooked. Um, 
the oh, one more thing I should oh, mention. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. We're actually going back there for another public event, uh, April 12th. We're going to be having it there. So if people okay. uh, are interested, they can. The information will be posted on our website once we get it finalized with the uh, with the Four Seasons. But we'll be going back up there for another public event. Okay. Uh, and when you run a public event, are you are you? Is it kind of more or less like an educational event for people there? We or? try. Um, I will say the. Uh, People are generally have been drinking quite a bit by the time they get on this thing. There are some people who come there and they're very much serious and interested in finding out, you know, going through it as much as we go through it as, as, as they can. But there are people who sign up for it on a lark and have drank in heavily before they came. And so, um, unfortunately, that sometimes becomes a distraction. But so your, um, your whole control element goes out the window there. Right, at that point. right. They don't, none, you know, all these people don't have control recorders on them. So there's certain things we just have to throw out because it's like there's no way I can prove there's no one whispering at this point. Uh, but you know, it is. We do try to educate them. We have a lot. Of, we have all of our, we set. We have all the stuff left up, set up from when our private investigation was the night before. So all the cameras are still set up. All the audio, the trigger objects that we use, all of our environmental, our recording data we use, and we point those things out while we're doing the public event and explain to them what it is, why we're using it, what we're hoping to you know capture or gain by using that piece of equipment, and then we go into the history of the the place that we're in and what claims have been there, and and then proceed with our EVP session. So. Uh, but yeah, there is a lot. We try to educate anyways. And we also actually, part of the, the weekend is a presentation, an hour-long presentation that we do, which goes over like the very basics about what the paranormal is and what we think it is, different types of hauntings. And, uh, and then we have some evidence for them to listen to as well. So to try to give them a primer about, you know, we don't know what their education level, if you will, is on, on the paranormal before they come. So everyone at least kind of has a baseline before we go into the investigation. Now, I think one thing that can be very frustrating with what you guys do and maybe as and frustrating either for the homeowner or the business owner or the person or your client if you guys come in for an evening or maybe a weekend and you run your sessions in the evening because it's more of a control factor less noise less light um it would seem to me and this always again looking at what's on television reading books people doing investigations Unless there's like a reoccurrence every like every night at five o'clock or every right. night at eleven o'clock um, when the bell tolls or whatever it is, um, it, hauntings are hit or miss. These are not things that occur all the time. And is is the Four Seasons one place where you? I mean, you've you've been there several times, and again, just using them as an example. Um, is that the most investigative spot that you guys have investigated? Have you been? Because without, I guess what I'm trying to say, pardon me because I'm rambling now, um, is you're there for eight hours, ten hours, whatever the span of time is, you don't see anything. There's there's no evidence. Nothing happens. Nothing moves. Nothing shows up on camera. No EVPs. Um, well, how do you how do you get around not being there? I mean, does it drive you crazy? You can't be there all the time. That you can't be there twenty four seven. That you can't you know set up a laboratory and just have it running all the time. Um, I'm always hoping for that wealthy investor so I can do that. <laughs> um, so if anyone out there is listening, I'd love to hear from you. Um, so yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is, paranormal activity, whatever it is, in any iteration, is rare. Um, if it was common, we would probably have a few more answers about it than what we do right now. And so when you think about it from the perspective of, if say it's someone's home. And they are telling us what happened over the last 10 years since they were there. And they have five things. What are the, how, what are the chances that us being there 
is that there's something that's going to happen since over 10 years five events occurred and this is a lot of what we're dealing with is with individuals who have had things happen over a long period of time now when it comes to acute cases which i mean cases where people are calling us in a panic they are absolutely terrified by what's going on in their home and it's things that's happened recently then we have a better chance of maybe being able to get to the bottom of what's there but you're right we're only there for six to eight hours if we're there for a one-night investigation maybe 36 if we're there for two nights and under those situations you know even if even with the best equipment the best techniques you there's still obviously no guarantee you're going to capture something and just because you don't capture something doesn't mean that it's there isn't something to capture you're just not you maybe you didn't try the right experiment the right trigger objects maybe you were just there an off night you know you don't know and um i always say in science, you try to do things in threes and triplicate. You want to get something to where you do things three times and you look at it, see if there's statistical significance. So I always try to go places at three, three times. Um, at least when you do it that way, you can say, well, I've tried three times. I've had absolutely nothing happen. And then you can go to the client, you know, this is what I've got or this is what I haven't gotten. You know, if you, if you're still concerned, I, you know, uh, journal things, which is basically write down details when things happen, time, date, who was there, what happened and get back to me. You know, if some things, if things start picking up and we can come back and revisit this, we've been to some places a dozen times. We've gone back again and again and again. We actually just came back from an investigation this last weekend and it was our 11th time at this one location. And um, these, the places we do that are usually places that have a higher percentage of success rate when coming to unexplainable data that we collect. Um, and so this one location is that is, is one of those locations where you know, we can go entire weekends. We, we, it's far away, so we go there for two nights. We can do two-night investigations and come up with nothing. But sometimes we'll come up with things that I just have a really hard time trying to find an explanation for. And it's when those things happen that I want to go back because it, it gets me excited that maybe I'm onto something. Like maybe there's something there that if I find the right parameter, the right variable and measure it when this event occurs, I could get a, you know, some sort of a clue as to what's going on. And so, um, but we always try to do if we can three times at a location. Um, sometimes it's hard with people's homes. You know, can't really, impose upon them if unless they want us to come okay now you said people call you in a panic yes um so there's i would imagine there's the there's the places you guys want to go you say hey here's a location that has a history or has mm -hmm. stories sure and you you seek those out and for the people at the four seasons call you or did you call them they actually called us oh okay yeah, I, don't, I don't know how they contacted us but they actually did call us okay um somebody calls you in a panic how many of those occurrences do you have i mean is there a ton of paranormal activity here in milwaukee I mean <laughs> it's, it's not uncommon um that we get calls like that sometimes it's like you said you get people that have weird stuff happening and, and they'll say i'm not scared but maybe you guys can give us some ideas to what's going on why it's happening that type of thing um, we've been to places where the the kids are too scared to go up to the bathroom by themselves because the water faucet has allegedly turned on by itself, and they're truly uh, scared. And in those cases, we try to set up something as quickly as possible. And even then, we can't guarantee that we're going to be able to give them results or specific answers, but there is some comfort to them that, number one, that they're not necessarily crazy, that someone's willing to listen to them. And that's a big part of what we do is to help people and try to make them feel better about what's going on. Would you find that just by showing up that 
that that's the comfort for, for these people. Someone oh. held their hand, listened to them, and that's all they needed. Sometimes, and that can just be these people. You know, our group took them seriously enough that we came out there on our own, and you know, we're not getting paid. We obviously must believe that there's something going on, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. So yeah, there's some relief in in their minds for that. It, yeah, there's a lot of psychology that goes into this, and 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 for whatever reason, there, you know, even though there's no experts in this field, there's people who have more experience than others. Is basically what it boils down to. People who come and have us come in, it could it could be us, it could be on our team. Um, they believe that we know about more about this than they do, for the most part, and they will take what we say seriously. And, and, and say, oh, well, th- they said there was nothing here, and so I can relax. Or they said there was three demons here, and so I'm super terrified now, and I'm going to call a priest. And so that's the problem, though, because we're all in the same field. We're all in the same la- playing level. You know, there's no one here has a degree in paranormal investigation. You know, there's only experience, but very, very rarely do people, especially residential clients who are calling us because they're scared, go and do research on the groups before they come. They do a Google search. They pick the first thing that comes up and they contact them. And they wait a day or two days. And if they don't hear back, they'll contact the next group. Yeah. I've had that. I've called, I contacted six groups. You're the first group that's contacted me back. And so in that situation, again, they're just, they just want anybody. You know, if they, if I had a, you know, there was some guy standing on the corner with science's parent, you know, it's a paranormal <laughs> investigator, you know, 50 cents. They'll, they probably pick that guy because they just want somebody. somebody come in. And if you think about it, you know, many, many years ago, Don Knotts used to do, there was a, I forgot the name of the movie, but it was, it was a ghost movie. A lot of those were very friendly, fun themed spirits. And now everything's demonic, you know, paranormal activity, Amityville horror. So when people have things that are unexplainable, a lot of times they jump to that conclusion, well, it's got to be demonic because that's what Hollywood puts out there, that that's likely what it is and we end up doing damage control sometimes you get these groups that'll come in and they will say yeah you have three level three demons in your basement and i'll say well how do you know this and they'll say well they had a medium come in and that's what the medium told us and it it can be very confusing to the person then when you have one group says yeah you have three demons in your basement we come in and say well there's really nothing to indicate that that's the case and then it's kind of like who do we believe type of thing and people can create a lot of, uh, like Noah was saying, psychologically, you can start things that you would never pay attention to before. All of a sudden, now you're paying attention to. Your TV turns on by itself, you know, and maybe the dog stepped on the remote, but you assume now it's a demon turning your TV on. So people can do a lot of damage without even intentionally trying to do so. Right. Now, see, the, the things in the paranormal seem to come in waves, it seems to me. Um, and if, if you look at a little bit of history of um, mediums and 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 trying to contact spirits, you know, we had the big spiritualist movement back at the turn of the nineteenth century, twentieth century, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and, and Houdini was big into debunking these people. You know, it's all tricks and it's not much going on. And you know, and he himself kind of wished, I guess, you know, if you if you believe the lore and the history that you know he made a promise he'd come back, and here's the handcuffs I'll unlock when I can come back if I can come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of phases out for a while, and then mm-hmm. we kind of you know, and it seems to be going with uh, what pop culture is bringing or what what kind of pops up in the news. So it seems like we've seen a spike in this kind of thing. Um, you see spikes in different things like this when there's a certain amount of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You know, um, again, reading paranormal stuff, and I think John and I are on the same level here. You read a lot of 
books my dad would call. When are you reading that weird stuff for? Him? You know, <laughs> here's a history of World War II. Read that. You know, um, you know, um, back in the uh, I'm trying to think how old I was, but back in the mid '80s, um, the whole um, Bob Hop- Hoskins and uh, Whitley Stryber, the contact movement, the the abduction movement was big. And, you know, and you talk to psychologists and they say, well, that was kind of out of the paranoia of the Cold War and fear of nuclear war and, hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Uh, and it seems like we're on this crest now, like you said, the, the, uh, demon possession, not, not so much demon possession, but uh, entities and demons coming into my home and I'm being invaded and it's, an, you know, it seems like it comes in ebbs and flows. Do you seem like there's a peak right now in this stuff or is it just that there's so much mass media and everybody's trying to find their niche. It's tailing off, I think. Um, in the in the mid two thousands is is when it started. I think it peaked around two thousand ten. I mean, if you look at the number of shows about the paranormal that were out there in two thousand ten, it's about a quarter of that now. And um, the some of the mainstays like Ghost Hunters um, are on their way out, and it's just going to kind of peter out. I think you know it's going to go back to the, what I call docudramas, which is things like uh, television shows like Paranormal Witness, where you have a person who actually believes they experienced something, and they're telling a story, and that story is being dramatized by actors and, and special effects and things like that. And it's because people are interested in the paranormal, they've always been interested in the paranormal, and there will always be a place, especially with cable television nowadays, for some paranormal shows out there. But the issue with the shows, the investigative type shows, like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures, is they cost a lot more money to shoot, and there's a lot of uncertainty involved. Parallel investigation, 1% of all of our cases yield any sort of anomalous data. 1%. And this is a TV show, right? People watch it to see the evidence. But the chances of capturing it is so little. And so they're taking a risk. They shoot way more shows than they ever air because they have to find some that have something to put on TV. And so it's expensive. Whereas a docudrama, you, get, you already vetted the person for their story, see if they're believable or not, see if it's worthwhile to put on TV. You, you know, get some nice actors going. You can, you know, take some artistic license with the, uh, with the story and make it sound more uh, flamboyant than it actually was, and you have a good TV show every single week. It'll be entertaining to people, and that's what they're going to do. You can shoot the whole thing in a studio, right? You don't have to go anywhere. So this is what's going to happen with these uh, these TV shows. It'll be more docudramas and less investigative style shows, more scripted, less. Of the, you know what, you know, are are you here with us now? You know, is there anything here in going to these locations? That's going to go away. Um, you bring up the TV shows and, and uh, Ghost Hunters, uh, Ghost Adventures, um, Ghost Lab. <laughs> it's long gone. Uh, is it? I you know I, I I haven't had cable in a while, so it's it's still on Netflix. So, uh, <laughs> and the one thing that I seem to notice is uh, probably very well-meaning people. Sure. And as you had stated, a lot of people get involved in this because they have an experience. Right. Um, but, you know, the ghost hunters, probably the most popular, most well-known out there. These guys were plumbers. Right. And not a single person on their team had any kind of scientific remote. You don't need training in paranormal. You don't need right. to be Dr. Venkman. You don't need to have a parapsychology degree. You don't need, you know. But you're a plumber. Right. And not to bash plumbers. Everybody needs a plumber, and some of my best friends are plumbers. Right. But make good money. <laughs> so why are you doing this? <coughs> um, they. Uh, but looking at your team, um, you've got an adva- two advanced, well, actually three advanced degrees. 
for the most part. I'll call them advanced degrees because it's <laughs> better than a high school education. But you know, you've got you've got your bachelor's degree, you got your master's, and two things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John, your your law enforcement background. There's a lot of psychology in law enforcement. Um, you know, and and I know you know the continuing education officers have to do, and just dealing with the public uh, in general mm-hmm. in, in scary situations. You know, from frightened lost child to uh, you know a, a, a wife who may have been beaten. There's there's all that training that you guys have, so that impresses me. That there's that that approach here, mm-hmm. um, but the the lack of scientific method out there the assumptions people make and then like you said the damage you're doing drives me crazy uh, <laughs> i'm sure it drives you guys crazy too because you all kind of get lumped in together i would imagine exactly, exactly um how do you battle that i mean how do you how do you fight through that in getting this through to your clients it's i'm sorry go ahead. no it, it's very difficult because if you go online and you see a lot of these groups, there's a lot of groups out there, probably almost more than not. They just have a Facebook page. They don't even have an established right. website. Well, I did a search. I didn't mean to cut you, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. No, it's okay. Um, there's 111. You, you, you type Paranormal Wisconsin Investigations. There's 111 groups with websites, Facebook pages. Not, not all of them investigate. Some were just, let's tell ghost stories. But 111 different groups in Wisconsin. Hmm. And I'm sure that's short of what there are out there, people purporting to be them, you know. Uh, I'm sorry. So, yeah, but just how do you differentiate yourself from those guys? Well, a lot of them, uh, there are two, three people, two, three friends that get together or a husband and wife. That's the paranormal team. And the way they learn is by watching these ghost shows. Now, the ghost shows are good in that it's made it more acceptable to talk about paranormal experiences, that type of thing. You're no longer considered the crazy person that you would have been maybe 20 years ago. But when you have groups out there, these shows where they're using equipment inappropriately, um, devices like a K2 meter, which is a nice paperweight with lights and sound and stuff on it, and they don't (laughs) understand how these work, you don't understand the pitfalls, and therefore it's not really useful equipment. But that's where a lot of these people base their the way they they use their techniques is based on what they see on TV. And I've seen just some horrific things, you know, ghost hunters, ghost adventures in particular. And Let's um, go yell at ghosts. That's what I call that show. Let's go yell at a ghost. (laughs) So it's very frustrating. (laughs) And then you also get these groups that they go on an investigation to get 30, 50 EVPs every time. And that's that is only a, it's not that they're better than us. It's that they're actually not as thorough and screen their their recordings better and use proper equipment. It's very easy to create EVPs, and people will look at that and go, "Well, this group must be really good because they get thirty EVPs every time they go out." Well, no, that's not the case. And when you try to, it, it, it can be difficult to, to convince somebody. That the reason we are so good is because we really don't get that much evidence because we are so thorough and careful. So what we try to do to set ourselves apart is education. So we do a lot of free library events around the city, um, mainly around Halloween time just because that's when libraries are more open to having us come in. But libraries that we've gone to several times will let us come in even in the summer and in the spring and do like a fill-in program for them. Um, And we'll do off-talk instead of just like the usual you know, this is what the paranormal is. This is the types of hauntings. This is how we investigate, and this is the evidence. We'll do off-topic converse, uh, presentations like, 
here are some commonly reported paranormal claims and here are some very normal explanations for those claims and so um, we try to do things like that so people know who we are how we go about things and that the crazy stuff they see on tv is not actually how it's done and not how it should be done because you're right the majority of people of all the all the groups in the country there's a very few that have any scientific like i'm not even talking about computer science but like straight hard science uh backgrounds at all and I'm not saying you have to have a degree in order to understand the scientific method, but a lot of teams will say that they're scientific just because they have an EMF meter or they use an audio recorder. And just because you use equipment that is technically scientific doesn't mean, one, you know how it works, two, why you're using it, and three, you're using it properly. And that's really where the scientific method come in, is understanding not just well, the theory is that ghosts are supposed to be made of EMF, and that's why I'm using an EMF meter to, to detect when those ghosts are around. Um, but, well, that is a theory, but there's many other things that create EMF, and you need to look out for those, and um, you can come up with an experiment to test if this is real or not, and these are things that people, the vast majority of people, just don't grasp. I believe some maybe, again, are well-meaning and are not purposefully, you know, trying to mislead people or whatever, but they're also maybe not willing to... to take the extra step and do the research necessary to understand these things. Using the equipment that you guys use, a lot of it is digital. I mean, the camcorders and digital yes. cameras are all solid state. Um, the audio recorders are all solid state now. You know, we're not using reel-to-reels. Um, and one of the old theories used to be that an entity would be its energy. So it'll get picked up on a magnetic tape. Mm-hmm. Um, or it'll show up on film because the energy will burn onto the film. And right. that's where you see a lot of the old, the quote-unquote ghost photography where it's basically just a reflection of light and a streak or a quick camera movement on a, on a bright spot. So what's the theory behind the equipment you use? Um, I, you know, the camcorders, I understand it's infrared, it's a light spectrum we don't see. Mm-hmm. So if there's something in that light spectrum, it'll pick it up besides just being able to see in the dark. Right. Um, stuff that we wouldn't have been able to see if it was there. Um, I'm, I'm sure the same thing's true for your digital still cameras in, in the infrared range, yep. looking for that. Um, but EVPs, EMFs, are, the EMFs is a measurement of energy. Right. So is that the theory in the paranormal investigation that what we're looking for is some type of energy? Uh, yes. So in the paranormal field, you know, the, 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 the theory that's in the forefront is that th- this is energy that um, was left by a person who is now deceased. And it's their soul that you're trying to uh, or spirit that you're trying to communicate with. And uh, this is based on historical investigations that occurred in the early 1900s and some observations that were made by a number of individuals, Harry Price being one who was just considered the father of paranormal investigation. Um, he is the first person that started recording temperature drops during when he, he used to test mediums for the Society for Psychical Research in Britain. And uh, when he was testing these mediums, he would notice sometimes these temperature drops. And so he actually was the first person to notice them, write them down, and then use that as a technique when he would do other investigations is, is trying to keep track of these temperature changes that he noted. Um, so along with the temperature changes, the theory was a wiser temperature drop. Well, if the spirit is there and is trying to manifest, 
it needs energy from somewhere. Thermal energy in the air, heat, is a type of energy that could be used, and if they use up that heat, then there would be left a cold spot. The other theory was, well, what you're, the cold spot is actually the spirit, uh, and that is what you're actually measuring is because that spirit is a ball of cold air because it's used up all of the energy in that, in that area. So that is where the, kind of the energy started. EMF came later, um, basically when the power lines start, the, the, the main power grid structures occurred in the United States in the 1950s, I believe. Um, they uh, were concerned about power lines and putting having you grow up next to high power lines. And so the government actually did some studies on how that affected people. And they did actually find some uh, birth defects with pregnant women. But other than that, with people who, with, with anyone who was developed already, um, there was basically no uh, hard issues with being by high powered lines. But with the advent of high power lines, people started noticing these high EMF fields in certain areas. And I actually don't know exactly where, who was the first person who came up and said, you know, EM, ghosts are EMF or ghosts are related to EMF. I don't know who that is, actually. I should know that. But <laughs> go back and find that out. I will. We'll, we'll talk <laughs> to John for an hour. Go do some research. Look that up. <laughs> uh, but that's basically where it started from. That's where people started looking at. It may have something to do with magnetic field, actually. Um, Harry Price used a compass on his investigations and he would put a compass down if the compass started spinning or acting strangely he noted this as a paranormal event and i think it actually stemmed from that observation because okay. electromagnetic fields or frequencies is in emf and so thus these meters which were again not designed for paranormal investigation they were designed for other disciplines uh were being started to use on these investigations to try and capture these anomalies but there are many other forms of energy so the electromagnetic field spectrum is quite broad uh, and there's other tools we use besides EMF meters. We use Geiger counters. We use ion, positive, negative and positive ion detectors. Uh, and then temperature, humidity, barometric pressure, among other things that we document uh, to see if there's any fluctuations during a paranormal event. Now, but you guys also do, uh, looking at one of your investigations online, you guys go pretty all, all out looking at solar flares, um, electromagnetic you know, and now they're talking about the sun flipping its magnetic poles in right. the next, what, year or six yep. months or whatever it is. And I'm sure that's going to have an effect on the Earth's magnetic uh, field. If and, and how much of this is just measuring the environment for something that's already there and then using it as an explanation? That's a lot there's, of there's energy all over us. And right. as we get into this digital age, I mean, in, in, this, in, in this area where we're recording right now, I've got two Wi-Fi's running in the house. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, we've got the computer running. We've got the microphones running. There's got to be fifteen miniature magnetic fields flowing through here. Sure. So if you were to walk through with, if I said, "Hey, you know what? My grandfather came and talked to me last night, and I called you guys because it spooked <laughs> me," um, you guys could walk through here, at least the way it's set up, mm -hmm. and find any one of a number of magnetic fields. Right. Um, plus, just the Earth's magnetic field. Right. Um, Which is very weak, but it's there. But it's there. Um, so you have to know how to use the equipment and how to interpret the data. Right. Okay. That's the biggest thing. Uh, there's many different types of EMF meters. It's the most pre one of the more prevalent pieces of gear that people get because they see it on TV. Um, when they use it on TV, they're generally not using it properly. They don't explain the differences between a single-axis meter and a three-axis meter, among other differences there are in these meters. And they don't really show you the best way to do baseline readings. They don't tell you, or they tell you very briefly of some common things which will give off emf which you should rule out that's what baselines of readings are designed to do 
Um, but the other thing that I'll talk about is frequency. So the frequency of the EMF that you're measuring actually matters. There's been studies done showing that frequencies between 2 and 40 hertz when people are exposed to these in a laboratory setting. 20% of the population had repeatable, reproducible hallucinations when they were exposed to these varying fields. You're and, talking about it's a transcranial, uh, no, what was that? That's a different study, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a completely different study. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> oh, no, they did, uh, uh, and that goes, no, okay. Um, but yeah, magnetic fields uh, anywhere in the brain can repeat, manipulate the brain, brain waves, memory loss. Right, so we have alpha, beta, delta, and gamma waves in the brain that the, the brain generates. And they're associated generally with sleep states. And so they believe that if you get a magnetic field which is in sign sync with one of those brain wave states, it could actually induce it on a localized level in you and make you hallucinate. Now, when it comes to the low hertz frequency, so the frequency that I'm talking about between 2 and 40 hertz is not common. It doesn't occur from electronics, for instance. Um, it's generally believed to come from actually... Um, being near porous metal and having a, a, a vibration that's going through this porous metal, which causes these very low level vibrations. And they don't occur, in, like I said, they're not a natural, a very rarely naturally occurring event. And so those are the things that I'm interested in. But the meters that we use, they cut off at 50 hertz. You know why? 50 hertz frequency is what is used in Europe, 60 hertz is what's used in the States for, elect for electricity. And these meters are designed for looking at essentially bleeding of electricity. And so this is why these meters are not useful for looking at what might be the most important frequencies that we need to, to, to focus in on. So something that people don't pay attention to, the frequency is actually important. It's not just, the EMF meter tells you the amount of change that is occurring in the EMF field, and but only within the frequencies that it's sensitive to. And if you don't know what those frequencies you're sensitive to, you don't know exactly what you're measuring. And... Uh... Yeah, I've seen that study where they take the large electromagnet and they run it across the guy's head and he does everything from cluck like a chicken. <laughs> um, yeah, the other thing that, um, and, and this replied more, not an area that you guys get into, but uh, I've seen uh, transcranial um, electronic stimulation mm -hmm. where they, they put on a cap, and this was primarily during the abduction phases, or the alien abduction phases, where you could actually stimulate parts of the brain during sleep to induce that feeling of dread of being watched of being right. paralyzed and basically manipulating a dream mm -hmm. and you know I, the one ghost story that relevant that's resonates through my family shortly after my grandfather died my grandmother claimed she was woken up by him in mm -hmm. the middle of the night um and he apologized um he passed away at what is now a young age 68 years old um didn't really take care of himself. Loved his beer. <laughs> loved his potato chips. You know, loved a good uh, cigarette now and then. And and didn't take the warning signs. Mm -hmm. um, so he apologized for leaving her alone. For, you know. And then said to her, I've got to go. They don't know I'm gone. <laughs> and walked out of the apartment. <laughs> the door closes. She wakes up. She's in the hallway. <laughs> okay. And a lot of that. I mean, if, if I were to sit her down with a psychologist, say, well, kind of wishful thinking. That's, mm -hmm. that's, and that's the way I always took it was that's what she needed to hear. Sure. And in her, you know, in her, and she did sleepwalk too. So, I mean, it's like, okay, grandma, you were sleepwalking again. <laughs> that's why you're in the hallway. But, um, and, but I, you know, it freaked her out enough. She moved in with my parents for six months oh, wow. because she just, you know, 
this happened and that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so, and again, I want to say it was related to electricity in her house, but uh, there's a lot of wishful thinking that goes into, I think, people who believe in these things and, and, and really think they're having a, uh, an experience. Um, but it could be outside influence too. You know, she was an asthmatic. So do we have low blood, blood oxygen level? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did she have an asthma attack sure. and started to hallucinate mm-hmm. and had this on her mind cause he had recently passed away. So, um, but that's, of- that's my family ghost story. That's, that's the best I can do. <laughs> that's better than me. I, I've been doing this for, well, since 2005, I still don't really have that great of a ghost story. So, um, so. Uh, well, well, that's the, that's an interesting thing I wanted to mention too. The, this was just something you were interested in. You weren't, I say, pushed into this by having an experience, right? And and that's what I hear a lot of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always I had an experience, but I'm not going to share it with you. And that's what pushed me into this. Oh. Am I going to get that from you if I ask you this question? No. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to you then. Hold that thought. <laughs> um, so you've never had what you would perceive a personal paranormal experience, correct? Okay. Um, on your investigations, mm-hmm. again, being, I'll put you more on the skeptical scale here sure. and, and looking to explain it. Um, anything in any investigation that I'm sure there's things you can't explain, but that one that just might've tipped the needle on you. <laughs> so there's one event that happened on an investigation <laughs> that I did this summer with an, um, uh, some of my group members. We went to some of the more famously haunted locations. Um, we did a tour. Uh, and one of the locations we went to was Bobby Mackey's Music World in Wilder, okay, Kentucky. Yeah. So The portal to hell? Right. Okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that was the place. So we've been to uh, Mansfield. Uh, we just gotten done doing Sedimsville Rec- Rectory. And uh, this is the third place that we were doing Bobby Mackey's. And, you know, these things are on the shows. And, you know, all this crazy stuff was supposed to happen there. You know, I've been there. I've done that. You know, I wasn't expecting anything. Anything more from Bobby Mackey's. In fact, I was expecting less from Bobby Mackey's because this is one of the shorter investigations we were doing. It was only six hours long. And so uh, I wasn't very, very much hopeful that anything was going to happen at all. But uh, during this investigation was was the, was the two separate instances occurred that are the most unexplainable to me um, that I have witnessed since I've started doing this and since. And it was um, essentially there was a female investigator who was um, part of my team who was there. And we were doing a, the first event happened while we were actually doing a walkthrough with the um, the manager of the you know paranormal stuff there at, at Bobby Mackey's named Wanda Kay. And she was telling us something uh, about we were in the basement and she was telling us something about uh, what we should or shouldn't do. I don't even really recall uh, what she was saying because I wasn't really paying attention. Uh, I was thinking about what I had to do next. I was just thinking, okay, let's get this to this tour so I can get my gear set up. <laughs> or time's a ticking. And so that's I'm running through what we're going to put where, da-da-da. And uh, I'm looking down at my the, the legs of my fem- the female investigator who was standing a little bit off to the right for me. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, again, I'm thinking, I'm not paying attention, but the bill in my hat was blocking the rest of her. And all of a sudden, she falls down. And I was like, oh, what, you know, did you trip? You know, that's the first thing I thought, you know, what happened? <laughs> did, you, yeah. did you trip over yourself? Come on here, there's glass on the ground. Because this was, oh, that's what she, uh, Wanda was saying. There was there was big, big barrels of bottles that came down from the bar. Okay. And they came on a shoot and there was like shattered glass all over the okay. place. And they're like, no, be careful. You don't touch the barrels. That's what she was saying. So I'm like, you know, geez, get up. You know, there's glass on the floor. I don't want you to get cut. You know, we only got six hours here. We don't have time for an emergency room visit. So um, I go up to her to help her up. And I was like, you know, hey, why you, why'd you fall down? And she has this look on her face like she just got 
like punched in the face and i was like uh are you okay and she's she's like what the hell and i was like what do you what do you mean did she just trip or whatever and she's like uh i i she didn't say it at the time but basically i was able to deduct that she got pushed and she got she got pushed backwards um, from where she was standing instead of forwards or sideways she was she got put directly, pushed directly backwards and she described it later as someone pick, grabbed her by the shoulders and, and picked her slightly up off the ground and threw her backwards now i didn't see all that but i was like jesus i just saw this this is very weird so all of a sudden i get on the hyper alert side and say okay well i don't i don't know what this is i don't know what just happened but if it happens again i want to be ready and so i grabbed a camera and i strapped a camera to myself and i followed her around and made sure that i was always by her the whole time shortly later in the investigation half no it was 45 minutes almost exactly we were in a different part of the basement still in the basement in a room called the wall of faces and we were sitting around in this circle there's supposed to be ghost kids down there and so we had a bunch of toys and stuff on this table and nothing was happening and so we're like oh let, you know let's stand up and back up from the table and see if you know the kids are nervous about having us there and they'll do something if we're further away so we're all standing around this table in a half circle and uh, i was standing to the the right of the female investigator we got pushed the first time and so i was standing there and i had my camera trained on the table because i thought well you know if something gets moved i want to capture it on video and uh as i'm doing that shortly after we stood up all of a sudden i hear this weird sound next to me and i turn to look and she is pushed up against this wall which is about a foot and a half behind us and she has this blank look on her face and i was like what the heck and so i i grabbed her quick and picked her back up and i physically held her up because she didn't have her feet underneath her for that time and uh and i said you know are you okay what happened and she didn't say anything and i was like missy what happened are you okay and she's and she didn't still didn't say anything and so then we had to actually take her out of there and what she described later is that something pushed her in the middle of her chest and pushed her back against that wall and we had video running in that room but there's an investigator standing right in front of her and so all you see is her disappear and her feet flailing and that's it and it's on our website it's on it's underneath the bobby mackey's and this the first bobby mackey investigation that we did but you know i essentially witnessed both of those times when she got pushed and i can't exp i can't explain because it wasn't like she you know people say i got touched or something touched my hair or something touched my arm you know it happens all the time like yeah whatever um, you know, you, just, you, you, you brushed up against something you didn't realize, or, you know, your arm's falling asleep, things start feeling weird, but this, this isn't a small thing. You know, she was physically moved two separate times, pushed down essentially to the ground two separate times. And in what she describes as a very forceful manner. Now I've known this investigator for over a year. She's not a particularly clumsy individual. And so for her to fall down at all would be, you know, unnatural for me. You know, if John said he paranormally hit his head, I'd be like, whatever, John. <laughs> Which yeah. I hear happens, happens a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that happens all the time. Happens so. every other day. If it doesn't happen, we think maybe something paranormal is yeah. going on. <laughs> Taking pills to increase balance or something, John? But with her, you know, it wasn't something that I was concerned about. I didn't, she just doesn't fall down randomly. Um, and especially in, you know, what was very, at the time, a violent manner. So, you know, to me, that's the most paranormal thing that I can't explain that I've ever witnessed. Uh, it hasn't happened to me, so it's not personal, but it's something that I saw with my own two eyes. And, and again, there's probably people that are saying, yeah, whatever, you miss saw what you saw, or because I'll, I'll be that guy too. I'll, do, well, you know, I'll I, think the same thing. Um, so I'm not saying that you have to believe me, but you know, for me, uh, that was like, hmm, 
I don't know what I don't know what it was. I'm not saying it was a ghost. I'm not saying it was a dead person. I'm not saying it was a demon. I'm saying it's something I don't know what it was. It, to me, an unseen force caused this to happen. What that unseen force is, I don't know. How did she feel about it? Has she, has, does she, has she had more, during investigations? This investigator had similar contact. Not to that extent. I mean, she is. Is she a little bit more susceptible? Yes, I would say yes. She 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 sends she tends to report more things that she believes are occurring to her, uh, but nothing on the level of of that. Of that. Okay. Um, so I don't. Know if she's more open to it, or I don't know, because I'm always like, hey, push me, you know. I, I, I'm all over that. <laughs> I, I'm guessing you're a little bit bigger than she is. So. I am yeah. slightly, <laughs> uh, just a little bit. But uh, but yeah, I'm all about you know that sort of stuff. I love if something like that happened to me. Um, it never does, but. Um, but I don't know, but she, she, she does tend to self-report that a lot of times. And, you know, it's usually not something we can document, right. you know, it's, it's just something very slight. Right. So is it something that is gender based? You have, a, you have a couple of females on the team. Yeah. Do they seem to report more? Is it maybe a gender bias? Is it, or, or something of that nature? Or haven't you really? It could be. Um, got I, that kind of data where you can make that kind of a str- extrapolation. We tend to run females off, but it's just what we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, I. It's a hard question to answer because I don't have any hard facts okay. one way or the other. But you know, women in general do tend to report more, and I don't know if as in like evidence like things happening. And I don't know if that's just how they're wired. They're more emotionally based as opposed to men, which are more, I don't want to say it's in a generalization. So, but just in, in a generalization, you know, women are more emotional than men. And so I don't know if that has something to do with right. it. I don't know if they're more in tune with X, Y, and Z. Right. There's, you know, a lot of possibilities. I will say when it comes to the paranormal, there are far more women who report paranormal things and want things to be investigated in men. I'm contacted 85% of the time by a woman when it comes to being contacted. It's very rarely a man. Um, I don't know if that's the man I'm protecting my family. Well, nothing can be explained. You know, nothing nothing gets by me. Right. Uh, if that's the problem or, you know, they're unwilling to admit that something's going on. Well, I find I that I'm, I'm in the automotive industry. Yeah. And I could sit there and make up the greatest babble, nonsensical explanation and I'll get a nod from the husband. Oh yeah, <laughs> or, or or the male, or, or from a man. Um, whereas, I will get more questions. I, uh, females aren't afraid to ask questions, mm-hmm. at least in my field, because mm-hmm. they know we. Again, a generalization, but typically not a, a female-dominated field. Sure. So they'll ask more questions to get the knowledge, because and and they'll come up with questions that you never hear out of a guy, because a guy's supposed to know this, so they just sit there and nod. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I, I understand that principle tremendously. Um, so now, John, you have had, prior to investigating, an ex- experience. I apologize. I misunderstood what you were saying. Oh. No, I have never, I've never had an experience... Uh, my folks told me that when my grandmother died, um, the clock stopped at a particular time that was you know, on Christmas Eve, which was her favorite time. Um, other than that, <laughs> that's about the only oh, okay. story I have. Okay. I apologize. Oh, no, no, that's fine. I, 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 I thought, I, for some reason, I thought from your bio there, you said there was something outside of the investigation. Um, anything similar to, to what Noah said, anything stand out in any investigation you've done? What, what Anything unexplained that kind of tips your needle a little bit i've had unexplained things happen um 
on one occasion we were at a place and I, I swear I saw a shadow figure run through the doorway um, in front of me and it wasn't out of the corner of my eye. You know, we get that a lot where people say, well, out of the corner of my eye I saw this movement and it's just not the way the, the eye is not, uh, the, looking out of the corner of your eye is not designed for detail and that type right. of thing. It's very easy to misinterpret what you see. Right. So I never put any weight in there when it's out of the corner of my eye. But on this one occasion, I was looking right through this doorway, and it appeared that about a four-foot shadow went running in front of me. Um, but again, I can't say to a positive 100% certainty that it wasn't my eyes playing tricks on me okay. or some particular lighting. I haven't had anything that I can say to 100% certainty this absolutely was paranormal, and there's no other explanation for it. Okay. Touching on that, your investigations happen at night. And I know I'm, I, I have, I suffer from sleep deprivation on occasion. I'll get four hours of sleep, two hours of sleep, four hours of sleep. And mentally that pulls you down. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the things that come out of the corner of your eye, I used to work at a gas station back when I was in my 20s. And my weekend would start at 7.30 a.m. on Friday, work my full-time job, work a part-time job after that in a bar until closing time. Work my gas station job 8 o'clock in the morning till 4, go to the bar, work till closing time, <laughs> Sunday morning, 8 o'clock till, I think, 2. And then my then I was done for the night. And I swear to God, the guys I worked with thought I was nuts because <laughs> Sundays, I would always, I'd be, it was a full service station. That's how long ago it was. Uh, pumping <laughs> gas. Out of the corner of my eye, I would see this black cat run around the gas pump. <laughs> you know, and it was just out of the corner of my eye, you'd see that little shadow, and well, it's got to be a cat. It's quick, and it just ran around the corner, and it's that high. And and I swear to God, they thought I was crazy or, <laughs> or still drunk from the night before. But again, the, the sleep deprivation, the mind's working at a slower rate than the, the receptors are, are taking it in. Mm -hmm. And um, so after a while, I quit telling them to look for the cat. <laughs> but uh, does this come into play, though, in some of your investigations? I mean, you're doing these things at night. Mm -hmm. These are this isn't your full time job, so it's a weekend thing. Or maybe if you're off, take a couple days extra off of work. You, um, you're not doing it during the week. Does fatigue come into play in some of this for you guys, or do you do you rest up? I mean, you don't you try to pull that factor out. Well, I mean, we do you do what you can, but it's something that um, I got used to. Uh, I know, obviously, as I get older, it's going to get harder, <laughs> but it's something that uh, you kind of get used to, to doing, and um, you know when you do an investigation, I mean, if you can, you know, if the investigation is on a Saturday night, then what I try to do is I try to stay up late on a Friday, and then if I can, I'll try to sleep in a little bit more on Saturday or get a nap in mm -hmm. so that I have a little bit more uh, energy going forward, but... Um, I don't know. For me, it's, it's it, every investigation is kind of exciting um, because you don't know what might happen or what could happen and, and what evidence you could get. And so as, at least at the beginning of the night anyways, it's it's pretty easy to stay awake. But as the hours go on and if things, especially if things aren't happening, it can get difficult. Um, I, I, don't, I don't trust my eyes at all investigations, um, I, not because I have particularly bad eyesight, just because there's so many things, especially when you're in the dark or eyes aren't made to see in the dark. And, and so it's really easy to miss see things and so i generally don't attribute myself attribute anything i see to, to what, what my eyes see um if i think i see something i'll make note of it just so that we make sure to check the cameras mm -hmm. um but and so we can put it in our report 
But other than that, I'm not going to make a big deal of it unless it's something, you know, pretty substantial. So pretty much you guys are babysitting the equipment, and that's what you rely upon for the for your, for your evidence. I mean, personal input's important, obviously getting pushed up against a wall. Yeah. But on those investigations that are a little bit slower where you're looking for something a little bit deeper and there isn't physical contact right. or, or activity, something moving across the room, you're pretty much babysitting your equipment. So you, you don't really use your senses as much. Not as much. I mean, we do investigate noises. We, we, we are... Uh, we are trying, we're, you know, during the EVP session, we're asking for things to happen or referring to our trigger objects and saying, can you move those? And so we're there as a, as a catalyst to see if by asking certain questions or using certain experiments or certain trigger objects, certain items might result in an impetus of something to occur. And so that's what we're hoping. Um, but I am not relying on my eyes, my ears, my sense of touch or smell to be the only way to record things. Um, I, I, I don't trust them because we're very uh, – our human senses are good for some things, but we're, they're very bad for others, and, and they're colored by what our life experiences are. Um, and so as such, they're very difficult to trust. But that's why I always rely on the audio and the video because it's going to record things unbiased, in an unbiased manner, which is what we want. We want to. I don't want to see it how I saw it. I want to see it how it was, how it actually was. And it's difficult for some people to be like, well, I saw. I know I saw it. I'm like – and I know people hate when I say this. Like, I believe that you believe you that saw, you saw, saw this. And I'm not trying to say that I think you're lying. What I am saying is it's possible you were mistaken. And in the only way to, to remove that possibility is to capture that event on video. Because then people can independently look at it and say, what do you, you know, this is what I think it is. And it's not relying on one person's interpretation of the event. And, and that's why I'm very glad my wife doesn't walk around with a personal recording device. Uh, <laughs> and even then, if you look at a lot of the Facebook pages, people post videos and pictures all the time. Well, you can see a demon face here. Or if you look here, you can see that there's a shadow figure moving. Half the time, it's computer-generated images, which the technology makes it so easy to do now. Um and a lot of times it's just poor lighting and pixelation and people perceive that they're seeing something. It's very difficult, you know, in their minds, it's like, I only saw it with my eyes, but I got video evidence now. And it's very difficult to dissuade some people to look at it objectively and say, you know, maybe it's because of the lighting or the pixelation or the quality that I was recorded in. Wrap up, last question. Each of you. Favorite place to go investigate? Results or no results? That I have investigated? Yeah. What's your favorite place? What would you say was the the most fun, the most interesting? Probably the place that we get the most results. It's a farmhouse in Illinois that Noah was explained that we um, just went to this last weekend. Um, we've got some of our best EVPs out of there. Just some very interesting experiences, and I guess it's more consistent than, than a lot of the other places that we've been to. No, where do, where where's your favorite place? Hmm, I've gone to a lot of places. Um, I'll I'll probably have to say the same the same farmhouse, and the, the main reason is because it's not only the physical evidence that we've captured, but there's there's events that occur there that are very difficult for me to explain. I still have some explanations for them, and it it's just a great place to study because of the varied activity that's there. Um, the chances of having something occur or experiencing something there or, or capturing something there is much higher in my experience than other places. I said, even, you know, Mansfield and Waverly and things like that. 
um, you know, and it's cheaper too because <laughs> you don't have to pay anything to go. <laughs> oh, we know what side he falls down on. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I mean, in, in actuality, I mean, it, it is a it's a great location. It's 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 isolated, so it makes it it's it's better. It's easier to control the environment when you're in that sort of situation. So you don't have to worry about busy roads and airports and you know buses and everything else so is this a private residence it or? is a private residence so it is it is inhabited if you will it's not it is abandoned. inhabited by by you know the the owner definitely say by the living and the dead um <laughs> uh so but there's 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 definitely something going on there uh i don't know exactly what but i'm, I'm hopeful by continuing to go back and and increasing the uh the n if you will uh, and in science is the n equals how many times you've done an experiment so uh for me that how the more times i can do an investigation location that i especially that i think is worthwhile investigating uh they the better off that we're going to be have you had re- repeat resu- repeated results with one event yes but we're not exactly sure what is causing that event and we're it's a it's a medical thing and we're trying to rule out medical actual medical causes okay. for it to one of the investigators um, not repeatable, like I got an EVP doing this and then try the same thing again to get another EVP. No, have okay. not had that happen, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but there is one medical thing that has repeated three times uh, since we've been there. And so um, we're just, we need to get more instances of that happening and, and more medical data. We have a pharmacist on our team too. Okay. And so he's very uh, helpful um, in in helping us with symptoms, what could be causing these symptoms, and what are things we can use to test to to, to rule those things in or out. Um, so you know, doing things like blood pressure and glucose measurements and things like that to ensure someone isn't having some sort of right. reaction. Is this a team member that has the physical, or is it? It is a team member. Okay, so it's somebody who's not in that environment. Correct. All the time. Correct. So okay. Yeah, and it doesn't follow. As, we're trying to rule things out pattern wise, and okay. so far the patterns we've noticed have not played out. To okay. be the same, and so as the uh, same greasy spoon on the way down. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Trying to make things the same and change one thing and see if that makes a difference okay. or not. And the things that we've done so far have not have not correlated. So okay, we'll have to see. So interesting place. So yeah, when is. does when does the book come out? No, no. <laughs> um, well, I I want to thank you, gentlemen, for coming down today and 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 sharing your experiences and your knowledge and. Uh, and what I again, what I what I've said is a very fascinating topic to me, and something that I think fascinates a lot of people. So, um, if if people want to get in touch with you, how do they reach Paranormal Investigators of Milwaukee? The easiest way is just to go to our website, paranormalmilwaukee.com, and you can go to any of the contact us links, and that will take you to uh, me. It'll email me directly. Uh, you also can email our individual team members. If you go to our members page, it has all of us on there, and you can email any one of us directly if you would like to do that as well. And how much advance notice um, would they need if they wanted to schedule an investigation? I mean, is that based on need or? It's based on need. It's based on our schedules. Well, you know, how many investigations we have set up already? What do we got going on? Um but yeah, you know, if, if someone comes to me and says, you know, they're just panicked about things, we try to move as quickly as we can. Um, but please understand, you know, we do have families and we do have other obligations outside of this. So, but we do our level best, especially in those situations when children are involved, to try to at least get there. And maybe even if we're not going to do an investigation, to do a, just a walk through and and and, and uh, hear what they have to say and, and see where things have occurred. And and that we find makes people feel better because the ball is rolling; it's moving in the direction they want it to happen. So. Uh, but, you know, generally when you contact us, 
between a week and three weeks it'll probably take to okay. for something to occur. Okay. All right. Well, again, Noah, John, thank you very much from Paranormal Investigators of Milwaukee. And you can find that link on our main page in our links area. Uh, so you can get directly to them to look at their website and to see what they do, look at some of the evidence they've collected on some of their investigations, and, and you've got links to other paranormal um, and, and what I'll call skeptic websites, um, <laughs> explaining some of the information, which is I think is very helpful. Um, so, again, gentlemen, thank you for showing up. Thanks, Thanks for, for that. Um, good luck you. in the future. Good good hunting. <laughs> I, I won't use the other adjective in that, but good hunting and good investigating, I guess I should say. And I am your host, Steve Italiano, for the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. If you wish to uh, uh, reach us, you can reach us uh, by email at listenupmke at yahoo.com. We also have the uh, Facebook page for Listen Up Milwaukee. You can contact us through that, as well as Tumblr now at listenupmke.tumblr.com. we do welcome input if you have any questions uh, for us. If you have any input as to what you'd like to hear, um, please feel free to do so. And again, thanks for listening, and um, come back and join us again in another couple weeks when we have a new podcast. Thank you, and have a good evening.